Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. It's imperative that while we teach this, that you listen to Pastor Thamo's teaching over 23 sessions. I will encourage you, even if you've listened to him before, listen again. Have a second listen. The easiest for me is to put, leave it in my car. So whenever I drive, because we do a lot of driving, so you get a lot of listening done. And I'm amazed at how much sometimes you listen and you listen again. And maybe a statement that you did not, you heard it the first time, but it never grabbed your spirit like it would on hearing it the second and third and fourth times. So the principle of and hearing, everyone say and hearing. So faith comes by hearing and hearing. My thing is, it's not hearing it twice, it's hearing it sufficiently enough until the required faith, faith or attendant faith is built up in terms of what you have heard. Psalm 60, 68 says, the Lord God has spoken once, but twice I have heard it said that power belongs to God. He speaks once, I hear twice, okay, for faith to be, to be built up. Um, last week, I took the time to basically go to some basics. The basics were this. You could do nothing to earn salvation. Jesus came as the righteousness of God made flesh. We've just sung the song. Jesus, the righteousness of God revealed. He fully complied with all the standards and all the designs of God for human life. Please remember, we define righteousness as the eternal, uh, predetermined, approved standard of God for how all sons of God on the earth should behave and live. There's an approved standard. So humans on the earth cannot live how they want to. They must comply with the design of God, with the standard of God for life on the earth. To reject God's way of doing it is to live unrighteously. If you do a thorough examine, uh, maybe next week we'll do it just so you can know. A thorough examination of the Hebrew words for righteousness and the Greek for righteous and righteousness. All, both of them relate to a determined, predetermined standard. In fact, a few Greek scholars actually use the term, the standard of God. There's a standard, there's a design, there's a template that God has in mind for how all men should, should live. So when Adam lost relationship with God and was disconnected, how will God retrieve him, reconnect him back into relationship with him? Because now being out of relationship with God, he's unrighteous. He's living according to his own thinking, according to his own rational mind, and life of independence from the Father. God in his love um, sent his son Jesus to pay the ultimate price. Um, we read a text now in 2 Corinthians 5 that Anne read, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I really want to encourage you to be fully aware of what it costs God to redeem you. It cost him a great deal, okay? He, he, 
he didn't send an angel. He sent himself. Right? The Bible says that when Jesus died, 2 Corinthians 5, it says God was in Christ reconciling the world back to him, back to himself. Okay? We were saved. I love what Cabello said yesterday. He said you were not saved from Satan's wrath. You were saved from God's wrath. Right? Satan literally is a non-issue as far as I'm concerned. He's been dealt with. Okay? You were saved from God and to God, he said. You were saved from his wrath, from him, but you were saved. Romans says we were saved from the wrath of God, from the penalty, the judgment of sin. And he said when Adam sinned, God was angry. Right? He was so angry he kicked him out of the garden. Who cursed the ground? Satan? God did. God said the ground is cursed for your sake. Right? Women shall bear forth children in pain. All of that result of the initial sin. Okay? So God was angry with man. But did you know, simultaneously in the anger and the wrath of God to sin, simultaneously was manifested the love of God. Because as he's angry with him, he slays an animal, sheds the animal's blood to use the skin of the animal to cover his, cover his nakedness. Yeah? He was, there was wrath and love expressed simultaneously, judgment, yet a prophecy is given that the heel of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and that man will be redeemed. But God knew I'm going to have to do it myself. Because this guy called man left to himself is going to mess up. I made him, but I have to redeem him. But the price for redemption would be the giving of myself to buy him back to me. So when Jesus was given, it says God was in Christ reconciling the world back to him, to himself. Are you grateful for your salvation? Come on, are you grateful? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's an amazing thing that God gave himself for me. Now when I sing songs like, I love thee for wearing the thorn on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. It is now, right now, I love thee. And so I want to encourage you, be thoroughly grateful. Everyone say, be grateful. Thoroughly grateful for what it took God to redeem you. You could not do nothing, so listen carefully. There was no works of righteousness that you could do to be reconciled to God. Works of righteousness, meaning things you do to get back into fit, back or to be retrofitted back into the design of God for your life. He did it all on your behalf. All you had to do was believe. Confess Him as Lord and Savior. Come into the kingdom of God and start functioning as His son. Now that you are saved, biblically you are expected to do good works. I, I, I gave you all the scriptures. Good works now... You practice good works as expressions of being right with God, of righteousness. So we looked at Abraham last week. And the Bible says concerning Abraham that um, circumcision did not justify him. Remember we read? Uh, things that the man did could not justify him. He was justified by his belief. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as as righteousness. He simply believed. And so we will believe, Paul would argue, by faith in Christ Jesus are justified 
Now he says, by the righteousness which is of faith. Faith, the belief in God. But it also says, to balance this whole thing, James then argues. Remember James, the practical apostle? He picks up the argument too. And he says, no, Abraham wasn't just justified by works only. By faith only, he was also justified by what he? By what he did. So watch, the Bible says, God said to Abraham, leave your country and go to a land which I will show you. The Bible says, Abraham just believed God and he obeyed. Righteousness was EFT'd into his accounts. He was reckoned righteous. Now that he was literally, so to speak, serving God and in the kingdom, <clears throat> serving God and in the kingdom, he now embarks in life, serving God, and now is obedient to every one of God's dictates. James picks up the argument and said, now then, listen to me. You claim you have faith. Good for you. You believe, the devils also believe, and they tremble, he says. But he says, but show me your faith without works, and I'll tell you your faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. Some might say, show me, my, show me your faith. And he says, I will show you my faith by my works. So what I do testifies to what I have. Works testify to the presence of faith. And he makes this powerful statement at the end of James 2. He says, was not then our father Abraham not only justified by faith, but also too was justified by what he did in that he did not withhold his only son when God asked him to sacrifice. Question, now watch. Is Abraham righteous because he believed? Yes or no? Come on, told yes? Yes. Uh, years later, when Isaac is born, okay? Isaac is now born in Abraham's walk of faith. And he's born by faith. And he's now at least anywhere from 17 to 30 years old when the sacrifice happened. So in his journey in Christ, he was righteous by faith. Had to practice that righteousness by deeds. And though that simply being, he had to be obedient every time God requested something of him. And listen carefully. An act of righteousness then equates to obedience. Acts of righteousness which God called you to do are now basically expressed by the levels of your obedience to God. Not to obey God now that you are saved means to negate the claim to the faith that you did have that made you righteous in the first place. So you cannot say to me, I'm saved. I, by faith, I am righteous. And according to Romans 5, you have the gift of righteousness. Not so? It says those who have the gift of righteousness, the grace, and the gift by the grace. Remember with this phrase is a powerful phrase in Romans 5. It says, the grace of God revealed and the gift by the grace. Two verses down, it describes what the gift is. It says, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Everyone say grace. Say, and the gift by the grace. And then later on it says, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Here's how it works. When you said yes to Jesus, you received His grace. When you receive His grace at initial salvation, there was something called the gift by the grace, which is a gift of righteousness that all of us received. Everyone say gift of righteousness. So now that you are saved, 1 John 3, 7, 
says that now you must do what? Practice righteousness. Right? Become a righteous practitioner. 1 John 3, 7. Who is righteous? Who? Make sure that no one deceives you. Who is righteous? The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. My point being, if you talk to Abraham and say, Abraham, are you righteous? He said, yes, I believe God, therefore I'm righteous. He said, not true. But now God asked you to kill your son and to obey him. And if you don't, are you righteous? James argues, James argues, if he had not gone through with the deed, the claim to have positional righteousness is negated by the refusal to practice it. So practical righteousness corroborates positional righteousness. You cannot claim that you are righteous in terms of your status before God and elect to do your own thing, disobedient to God, and still claim the former position. In fact, I will prove to you over the weeks this fact. It is possible to lose your positional state by faith that is true of you through your willful continuance in practices of unrighteousness. Practical behavior can cause you to forfeit something attained positionally as true of you in the spirit. The one should prove the other and testify of the other. So remember our theme is grace reigning in, in righteousness. Not so? Come on, say it. Grace reigns in righteousness. Let's read it for the record. Romans 5, 17 onwards. Right? So what do we want more of? What do we want more of? Everyone say grace. One more of the grace, and I'm saying it is couched, it sits well. Grace is king in righteousness. Grace reigns in, in righteousness. Two things. Initially, before you said yes, at the start of your walk in Christ, grace produced righteousness as a gift. You've got to understand this. Grace produced righteousness as a gift. Positionally true of you, you are righteous before God. But now you are about to become the righteousness of God in Christ through consistent, continual, repetitive acts of obedience, practical behavior that now testify to what is true of you as a gift. The gift must manifest. You know when you get gifts, not so. The gift is to be explored, not so. Even when we give gifts to men. If I give my son a computer, that gift opens a world of other possibilities. And possibilities that are not possible without the gift. So when God gives you the initial installment, a gift of righteousness, like faith, like hope, like love, and even like grace, those attributable or communicable attributes of God, everyone say communicable. Communicable literally means able to be communicated, able to be transferred, that can go from one. So there's attributes of God, there's essential aspects of His nature, like His love, like righteousness, like mercy, that are communicable to men. They're able to be taken from Him and offloaded to men. There are some non-communicable aspects of God that, can, that man cannot share with God. By the way, you know that. That will forever set him aside as God. Things like omnipresence. Can God's omnipresence be communicated to me? No. You can't be everywhere at one time. Try it. 
omniscience cannot be communicated to, to men. But there are some attributable things about him that he wants to offload. One of those things is righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. Jehovah Mikadesh, the Lord my righteousness. I will discuss that name of God in a special session. We need like a whole session just to discuss how righteous he is. And he wants to offload. Initially, he will give it as a gift. Like grace, like love, like hope. All can be, once it's installed in the life of the Son of God, all can be developed. All can be grown to perfection or to fullness or to maturity. Now you have got to practice righteousness. If by the transgression, Romans 5.17, death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and what? And the gift of? Righteousness. If you go back, but don't go back, keep this verse up. If you go back a few verses, it says we receive grace and the gift by the grace. When grace comes, there's a subsidiary gift. It's called gift of righteousness, which this verse explains. Okay? So, and when you have those two things, what will happen to you? Now, you've got to catch this. If you don't get this, you won't get the messages that are going to come here after. Everyone say, reign in life. Come on, say it again, reign in life. Right? Reign in life is only possible when you have two things working within your life, an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will cause you to reign. I want everyone in this church to be successful in life. I declare that you will be successful in life. No one, there's going to be no casualties and victims and, uh, of stats here, right? Everyone's going to have a good life. God has called us to this. God has called us to the successful. We are reigning. We are ruling. We're not under anything. We are on top of all things. Amen. So everyone said rule in life. Come on, say it again. Reign in life. What do you need to reign in life according to this? Abundance. Say abundance of grace. And what else do you need? The gift of righteousness which he makes available at your initial point of salvation. Go on, verse 18. So then as through one, as through one, that's Adam, transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one, Jesus Christ, the one act of righteousness resulted justification of life too to all men. Okay, verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one many will be made Righteous. You can never ever disconnect development in righteousness from obedience. Everyone say obedience. We'll talk much about that later. I will show you. If you are going to be a righteous practitioner, it's expressed by the, by the expressions of obedience within, within your life. Verse 20, 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So then, here's the verse I like. As sin reigned where? <laughs> in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Link the two concepts. Verse 17 says, where will you reign? Come on. Where will you reign? In life. Say we reign in life. That's verse 17. What do you need to reign in life? Two things. Come on, tell me. Abundance of grace and righteousness, right? Now, watch. 
those two dynamics work like hand in glove. The one works and requires the other to work. In fact, the one necessitates the presence of the other. I want to stress it again. I'm going slowly because I want you to understand. Everyone say, to reign in life, I need abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Grace then is what you need in abundance. Not so. But grace itself is king in righteousness. Grace would reign through righteousness. This is how you must think about it in, my, in your mind. I need to be righteous to comply with all of God's standards and requirements for my life. Not so. I need to be compliant. Grace initially is granted to me and that gift is granted as a gift. Righteous before the Lord. But in my walk with God, I must now start to practice righteousness Aspects of obedience in every department of my life, in my relationship with my wife, in my finances, at work, uh, towards a brother that hurts me. I must just in every department make sure I'm obedient. So I start to, to practice righteousness. So grace and righteousness cause the Son of God to reign in life. But grace itself needs righteousness for it to reign in Grace is king through righteousness. And when grace sees righteousness, grace comes to presence itself. So it's like the receiver. Righteousness is the grace receiver. God knew I'm full of grace. I need to offload my grace onto a righteous man in the earth. He's far from me. He's sinful. He's disconnected to me. So I need to bring him into a state of righteousness first for the initial deposit of grace to work. That happened at initial salvation. A gift of righteousness was given to you so that more grace could land. As you now start to practice obedient behavior, every act of obedience becomes a practice of righteousness that literally expresses and corroborates what is true of you positionally. When God sees that, Acts of goodness, acts of obedience, acts of righteousness. Guess what is going to be offloaded to you more and more? More grace. What do you need to reign in life? Grace and righteousness. But grace itself needs righteousness to sit in. So that you could be successful in life. I'm saying all of this to say this, brethren. Do not be deceived. That's why John says it. 1 John 3, 17. Go back there, look. He says there are a lot of people deceived in the earth today. If he did not say it, it would not be so. Verse 7. Make sure no one deceives you. Why must he start the statement like that? John is thinking like this. There are far too many people in the world declaring that they are righteous. He's saying everybody is righteous now. When I look at the behavior, they're, they're far from the claim. And he says, little children, tell your neighbor, little child. You know, you, know, you know when a father speaks like that to a child, I can picture him with tears in his eye. By the way, he was the last apostle to die of the 12 that walked with Christ. When he writes like this, don't think this is from a Johnny come lately. When he writes, he's had his head to Jesus' chest. He was part of the inner circle. 
Okay? He wrote the whole book of Revelation. He wrote the whole book of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. This is not a fly-by-night talking. This is a, a, a credible apostle. When he says, I can picture him, glasses, old, bent over, weary, about to peg off. I walked with my Lord for three and a half years. I was privy to some things even the other 12 were not. So close to him. He's called the apostle of love, this guy. His epistles are full of love. And so when, I, when he says little, I can picture him earnestly. I've walked. If all my, that my Lord has done for three and a half years, all the works of the apostles through the whole book of Acts, the early church is now flourishing and growing, and the numbers are increasing. And there's a concern in the heart of the apostle. Everybody's claiming to be righteous. But what I'm seeing is no practice. They're not righteous practitioners. Talk to Abraham. He will not only tell you I'm righteous because of my belief. He said my deeds corroborate my claim. And this, this apostle argues, who is righteous? Him who practices righteousness. Now, the reason why I say this because there is a, a move on the earth right now that's an extreme hyper-grace movement. And it's saying to people, you can do what you want to. You're still going to heaven. You, all you need to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, and don't be bent on trying to live right. Because God knows you flesh, you will fail, you fall. So you, you will be accommodative of certain expressions of unrighteousness or disobedience. Because you made a decision to accept Him. Some groups in the world call that eternal security. It's the doctrine of eternal security. Once saved, always saved. That doctrine is a lie from the pit of hell. I believe in the preservation of the saints. I really do. That once you're saved and you see this about it, God will preserve you. If I had to think, God will keep you. Tell someone God will keep you. Two verses in the Bible teach that. But, you see, no one can take you out of his hand. But you can leave. You can jump off the boat. Talk to Judas. Talk to Demas. Demas has left me, Paul says, having loved this, this present world. Okay, and there are many other examples in the scripture. So I want to encourage you, tell someone, become a righteous practitioner. If ever you, you need to become a righteous practitioner, it's now. It's, it's, it's today. Now, if you go to the book of Jude, everyone go to the book of Jude, chapter 1. This verse was referenced yesterday by Apostle Cabello Moreke, son in the Lord who was there as well. He just gave an exhortation. But it's part of my notes here. Jude 4, Jude verse 4. There's only one chapter in Jude. Jude chapter 1 verse 4. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed or unawares. Those who are long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Watch. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into what? Into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can take grace 
misunderstand it, and think that grace is license for you to sin. Grace does not give you license to sin. Grace teaches you discipline not to sin. Jude, also an end-time writer, as an apostle himself, says that they are ungodly persons. They turn or dilute or distort the grace of God, and they use grace as license for licentious behavior. Listen to the same phrase, turn grace of our God into licentiousness from other versions of the Bible, and you'll get what the apostle is saying. Listen carefully. The Amplified says, watch, persons who pervert the grace of God into lawlessness, wantonness, and immorality. The English Revised Version says, they use the grace of God in the wrong way to do sinful things. The English Standard Version says, they pervert God's grace into sensuality. God's Word Version says they use God's kindness as an excuse for sexual freedom. The International Standard Version says they turn the grace of God into uncontrollable lust. The Modern King James Version says ungodly ones perverting the grace of God for unbridled lust. The New American Standard Version says who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. The New King James Version says ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. Guess what is happening in the world right now? Do you know that immorality has reached a new peak in the world? Do you know that? Are you aware of that? Right? You know, uh, our nation is beset by so much crime. It's every day on the news some form of crime or unrighteousness uh, committed in our nation. I'm talking about our nation, South Africa. Yes, it's true of the whole world. But we are here. Let's bring it home. KZN. Let's bring it further. Durban. This precinct. It's like all hell has broken loose. Yeah? Now I will prove to you later on that, the, that, that uh, evil runs rampant in a region when a standard of righteousness is compromised. In the sons of God. When a standard of righteousness becomes compromised in the church. Evil runs rampant, right? And that's a forthcoming attraction. I, I need a whole session for that. I'll show you from the scriptures. Listen carefully. Whenever there's evil afoot in a dramatic, uh, uh, accelerated way in any part of the earth, it is usually, though not all the time, I must qualify this, it is usually indicative and symptomatic of the state of the church. The state of the church becomes reflected in the manifestation of evil in evil men. Because the righteous standard in the church should be a constraining, restraining factor of evil in its jurisdiction. Yeah? So you can't sometimes even pray against it. While I go to prayer meetings, I went to one this week, to pray for our nation and, and to pray against. My concern is, yes, we must pray, but it's pointless only praying alone without correcting the deficiency. The deficiency is the people of God. If my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves, turn from what ways? Do you know what God is saying in that verse? 
My people have wicked ways. Claim those claiming to be, to be righteous, they have wicked ways. If they turn, the land gets healed. Right? You can't pray without turning from wicked ways. Pray is good only when the first thing is done. You turn from wicked ways. Because according to James 5.17, Luke, James 5.17 says this about prayer. Who loves to pray? I do. We had a very powerful prayer meeting on Wednesday. It was like a sweet presence. God said to me, it's only sweet because of righteousness. God is saying to me, every time you gather people to pray, make sure you're gathering righteous men. Don't come to a prayer meeting if you're unrighteous in your behavior. I give you license. Don't come. Rather sort your life out, then come. I don't want you to come here with unrighteousness. Are you lifting up holy hands with us and diluting our power corporately? You come prepared in righteousness and come to pray. And you'll see God move. God will move with a few righteous men. There were a bunch of people being compromising the standards of God. Yeah? And so Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain for the earth for three years and six months. <coughs> then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, no, go back. I'm looking for the phrase. Is it chapter 18? Verse 16. Sorry, James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective prayer of what man accomplishes much? Is prayer powerful? Not so much. Prayer is only as powerful as the state of the man who is praying. It's not prayer that avails much. It's the prayer of a righteous man that accomplishes much. It's powerful in its, in its working. So uh, David said, if I, I can't remember the verse. I'll share it with you via the WhatsApp. It's a verse. I learned this verse way back in my youth in King James. It's, he says, somewhere in the Psalm, Psalm 60 something says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard, and the word regard there means cherish, nurture, and accommodated as a practice. David said, the Lord will not hear me. So unrighteous practice definitely puts a ceiling over your, your prayer life. But a righteous man when he prays, everyone said accomplishes much. I pray you get ready to accomplish much through your prayers. Because of your pursuit after righteousness. You know what? I'm finding a new confidence like I never had before in prayer. Now when I wake up to pray, it's like, not if maybe you're going to hear me, this, that, what, but if. No, no, no. God, you said you will hear the prayer of a righteous man. Let me just say this to you. You can fall from time to time. I'm not saying you're entirely perfect. Because the Bible says the righteous man falls seven times. But he rises up after everyone. When we declare you are righteous, we're not saying that you're without trouble. Right? Because Job was a righteous man, blameless. Put Job 1-1 one, one, quickly. Okay, we're going to fly today. Job 1-1. One, one. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was what? Blameless and upright. The word upright is righteous. Fearing God and turning away from evil. But did he suffer? Hey, if anybody suffered, it's Job. Never you get a job, you suffer. Job suffered big time. You know, I don't like the story. 
how this man suffered. So in 2 Timothy, it says, All they that will live godly or righteous in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Another text says, the, 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 Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yeah? But out of them all, the Lord does what? The Lord delivers him. I don't want to give you a false sense of hope when you, when you embark upon righteous standards of behavior. It's not like you fall. Yes, you're, because you're human. But what does John say? First John 1 verse 6 or 7. First John. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, what are we doing? We are lying. Do you know how many people are lying today? You're saying... You're saying that you have fellowship with God, but you're walking in works of darkness, you liar. Huh? And he says, and you do not practice the, the truth. But he qualifies, watch the next verse. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with the another. There's another message in there. Your walking in the light will be demonstrated by the quality of your fellowship with brothers. Can't claim that and you don't need anybody here. But he says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Carry on. If we say that we have no sin, I can't say, Randolph, I don't have sin. Yes, I do fail from time to time. I cannot, John says, an old aging apostle, nobody can say they have no sin. But if you do that, you are deceiving yourself. And the truth is, not in you, but listen to what he does say. But if we confess what? Our sins, he is what? And what? Is he righteous? To those bent on righteousness. He knows that you are human. And even from time to time when you fail and you come to him and say, God, I'm sorry. Guess what? He is righteous to forgive sons of God who pursue righteousness but will fail from time to time. You see, he said later that we must not practice sin. Sin is an objective. We can fall from time to time, but it's not our practice. Tell someone, don't practice it. You do it and you feel nothing. There's no conviction. There's no intention to change. That's dangerous. That's when your conscience becomes seared with a hot iron. Go back to Jude 4. So Jude is very concerned. He says, there are some guys in the world using grace as licentious. And you read my reference to all the versions. You even do a Greek study of this word licentiousness. It's translated lewdness, lustful, uh, uncontrolled, unbridled sensuality. You heard the compendium of words we used here in a moment. And he says, they think, they think they can do that and God's going to wink. God ain't going to wink at nothing today. This is a word for this house. You people have heard more than anybody else. Standards have been raised for you now. God is saying, no longer. Where's that text in Acts where it says, at the times of this ignorant, God winked at. But now he commands men everywhere to repent. You know that text? I'll just quote it to you. I'll share this with you later by the church WhatsApp group. Can you believe me? It's in the Bible, right? You trust me to quote it accurately. It goes like this. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at. 
Now, when you wink at something, it's like, oh, it's excusable, you know. So don't stop a cop and wink at him. Like, look over this one. <laughs> if he winks back at you, okay. I tell you, buddy, you get another fine <laughs> for winking. So when Peter employs the term, um, he says, at the times of this ignorant God, winked at, but now, everyone say, but now. He commands men everywhere to repent. The principle is this. When men are ignorant, God can sometimes overlook and excuse the inability to comply with standards because they're ignorant of certain things. But Peter asks, but now, at the time of knowledge, no one is excusable. Now that you know, thou art inexcusable, O man, is how Paul would frame it. In Romans chapter 1, thou art inexcusable, O man. Okay? So, it is very important for my life. I've like never before. Next week, I will talk to you about pursuing righteousness. It's a whole lesson on its own. But it's got certain technology. You've got to fight for it. You've got to chase it. You've got to pursue it. You've got to seek it. Do you know the first descriptor of the kingdom is righteousness? The kingdom of God is what? Is righteousness, peace, and joy. The one determines the other two. If your righteousness is compromised, you lose peace and you negate joy. Okay? It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So tell someone, no more excuses. Don't even use the weakness of your flesh as an excuse. Right? I will share with you also in next week how that the same grace, listen carefully, you, you cannot miss next week. In fact, it's going to start on, on Wednesday. Wednesday we have Bible study. Wednesday evening, you mustn't miss it. Because I'll start the process of Wednesday of teaching you this. You can say, oh, well and good, Randolph. My heart, I really want to please God. I'm a son of God. But I find myself in a situation where if that thing is presented to me, my flesh speaks louder. I just want to fall. I just feel myself being sucked into that world. Right? I will share with you the same grace that saved you will be the same grace that will empower you to overcome any sin presented to you. I'm telling you, but don't miss Wednesday. It's going to be very, it's, it's like a pivotal session. It's like a critical mass session. Wednesday, it's going to, it's going to be arming. It's going to be empowering. Because the Bible does say that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. So if grace is going to reign in righteousness, in godly living, the grace of God, before it reigns through righteousness, will teach you how to live righteously for it to reign in. There's nothing that God expects from you that it will not also empower you to do. If you are tracking Pastor Thamo, he started a new series now on royal priesthood. Monday morning I listened to it. I was... Wow, I said, God, I want to be there. If you have access to Wi-Fi, don't wait for my CD on Royal Priesthood weeks from now. There. I'm saying track it because he made certain prophetic statements in, in, in that sermon of how new worlds are going to open to the sons of God when they function in their priestly anointing. But he made the statement, you cannot function as a priest before mastering sonship because priesthood is given to Sonship and sons are righteous before God. So it's a follow-up session of the past 23 sessions. But he made the statement that really blessed me. 
he said this, principles, ending P-L-E, the word P-L-E, principles, must become principles, the word ending P-A-L, right? In other words, when you practice a principle sufficiently enough, that thing becomes a stronghold, a principle in your life, right? And he said, when you make that transition, then now you being the principle or the principality in the principle, you now have jurisdictional capacity to deliver spheres, not just yourself. So when you engage the principle, P-L-E, you can deliver yourself. But through constant observance of the principle, you never divorce it. You become it such that you become the principle, P-A-L, principality. Now you have the capacity to release whole spheres. Right? Righteousness, listen. Jesus, God's righteousness revealed. He became it. He became the embodiment of the thing. Righteousness. Right? And he had the capacity by one act of obedience to set all men free. When engaging the principle, PLE becomes, makes you the principle, PAL, your capacity to deliver whole spheres become, comes into play. Noah, Genesis 6, verse 8. Was Noah righteous? Come on, talk to me. Yeah? How many were referenced as righteous? One man. In the whole world. Billions of people. I don't know how many, what the population. Okay, men are billions, but there's a lot of people in the world then, right? And the Bible says, Noah found, put the King James, Noah found favor or Noah found grace in thee. Everyone say he found grace. Where does grace land on? Look at the next verse, 9. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was what? Noah was a righteous man. Who finds grace? A righteous man. So grace reigns where? In or through righteousness. And it causes Noah to rule and reign in life. But this man, everyone just do this. Like, don't eat the people next to you, but just do this. Yeah. Come on, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Right? Now, you're not being crazy. Everybody in the air, raise your hands. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not, we're not being crazy. I, you know, when, when I heard Pastor Tom on Monday, I'm sitting in my, I was busy with something, but I'm listening on the side here. I stopped. I said, Lord, Jesus. And I said, let my sphere grow. One man's righteousness, his whole family is saved. The righteousness of his family is not referenced. Only his, but his whole family is saved. And then God's plan to kill the earth and to wipe everybody off the planet is stopped. And the new era is activated to one man's righteousness. Righteousness is going to be a powerful thing. Say a powerful thing. Because grace sits in it. Grace supports it. Grace comes to imbue it with power, with energy, with enablement and capacity. That's what righteousness does. That's what it did for Noah. Right? So I want everyone to rest. Say rest. Because the word Noah means rest. Stop your perspiration with your nonsense. Stop doing the wrong thing. Rest in obedience in God. It's like if you reread this, read verse 8. What finds rest? 
What finds grace? King James. And, but Noah found grace. If Noah's name means rest, we can reread this by saying, and rest found grace. Right? So tell your neighbor, stop your unrest. Stop worrying. Stop the anxiety. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm at a place in my walk with the Lord now. I'm saying to God, Lord, put every department in my life right. Every aspect. I want to be righteous. Comply with the standard. You know what? It's happening. What I'm feeling in my life. Through all the busyness of ministry, I've never been more restful. Because I'm finding an attendant grace that's enabling us to do what we need to do in, in Christ. Righteousness is key. Righteousness is key. Is key. What does, one more verse. I'm way off my topic. I really wanted to speak about uh, grace being given to the upright. But I'll start that Wednesday, maybe concluded on Sunday. It's a long teaching. But do not think for one moment you can do your own thing and get away with it. I declare to this house, if you're up to nonsense, God will find you out. That's a word for you today. So stop your nonsense. Stop sinning. Stop doing the wrong thing. Because God will expose you because He loves you. And the exposition of the Lord, the exposure of the Lord rather, will be redemptive, not humiliation. God loves you. And God will, God will come and he will, he, will, he will embrace you. Amen. Because He loves you. Do you know why God disciplines people? Because He loves them. The discipline of the Lord is never punitive. It's always an expression of His, of His love. Amen. Don't just bank on the fact that He's merciful and loving. There's also something called the wrath of God. There's something called the fire of God. Hmm? Hebrews 12 teaches this. Let us have grace wherewith we might serve God acceptably with reverence and put it up. Last verse. Hebrews 12, round about verse 28. <laughs> Therefore, seeing that we are receiving a kingdom. Let's read this together. Come on. One, two, three. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have what? Grace by which we might serve God. Wow! Acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And what does he say in the next verse? For our God is a consuming fire. When the fire of God hits you, it's not to damage or destroy you, by the way. The fire of God is always to purify you. If you understand the doctrine of fire in the Bible, it's never intended to destroy the person. It's intended to save the person. And you know what? Franz Duplessis shared this in, in, in Lusaka. A statement he made that really hit home with me. At the great white throne judgment, recorded in the book of Corinthians, the Bible says two categories of works. Gold, silver, and precious stones. The other category is wood, hay, and stubble. Of those two, which can fire, burn, and destroy? Wood, hay, stubble, right? Gold, silver, and precious stones cannot be destroyed by fire. Fire can only purify them. But the element cannot be destroyed. So at the, the judgment seat of Christ is different to what theologians call the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is where unbelievers will be judged. 
but we too will be judged at all believers, not we, our works. Everyone say our works, the things we did. And they will be tested by fire. The fire will either make the works stand or the works burnt. But Paul is very clear, but you yourself will be saved. Right? You yourself will be saved. So what's the point in doing a work for God or works in terms of behavior and obedience? All your life, coming to the judgment seat, and God assesses them. Revelation describes Jesus' eyes as full of fire. He looks at it, he perceives it, he assesses its motives. And he says, oh, you went to Bloemfontein, you went to Lusaka. Oh, you're traveling to Kenya, you're preaching. Randolph, you did many works. But woo, let me look at them, burn with fire. Sorry, no reward for you. But you, because you're my son, you are saved. The point of the judgment seat is for rewards, not for salvation. You'll be saved, but what you did will be assessed. It'll be assessed of its ability to stand. Now, this is what Franz Duplessis said that amazed me. The works are burned, but the man is saved. Everyone say, the works are burned, but the man is saved. This is what you do for Christ now. And he made this. He said, sometimes when you lose something, it is God's way of saving you. Works are lost, but you are saved. And I'm just picking up this in my spirit. Some of you have to lose some behaviors for you to be saved. Some of you have to lose some close friends. Your loss is not a loss. It's your salvation. Some of you have to lose certain practices so that you can be saved. May the fire of God be upon you this week. May God burn up anything that is displeasing to Him. May God refine us. May God puri, purify us. One last scripture. You've got to hear this. I, I guarantee you this is for your good. Why does God come to you like fire? Malachi 3 verse 1 says the following. Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. It's amazing, eh? You're seeking him and how is he going to come? He will say he'll suddenly come. He will suddenly come to his temple. And who is his temple? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the body of Christ. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is glad he's coming to the temple? Yeah? Do you want him? I'm asking the question. Do you want him? Anybody want the Lord here? Yeah? Come on. Talk to me. Guess how he's coming. Yes. Next verse. Who can endure? The day of His coming. Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire. Like a launderer's soap. So He's coming not to kill you. He's coming to purify you. Who's up for purification? My both hands up. I'm saying God, aspects of my life, put every detail right. Yeah, where I fell before, I'm never going to fall again. Yeah? And why? Verse 3 indicates He will sit. God is not moving right now. God is sitting. In terms of accelerating His purpose, I really believe that. He's like sitting and saying, I'll take my time with this congregation. Huh? Before you guys move on with my purposes, I'm going to camp here. Everyone say it's camping time. <laughs> Clean up your house. Put your house in order, says the Lord. Clean your act. Get rid of the dross. Clean, clean stuff. When I walk into your homes, I want to smell cleanness. I want to sense purity. I want to sense the divine. I don't want to sense duplicity, falsehood, and unrighteousness. I want to sense in your life when I meet you, greet you, look into your eyes. 
I want to see eyes of fire, pure and holy before the Lord. Righteousness. Why will God purify us? He will sit like a refiner, like a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they might do what? Offer to the Lord what? An offering in, in righteousness. They might offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This will even bring you fear and reverence in how you handle your offerings, your money. It must be done in compliancy, righteousness before the Lord. Amen. So lift your hands. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. I pray great grace and peace over every one of our family members in this house of yours. Loving Father, we lift our hands to receive new grace. Thank you for the grace and the gift by the grace that of righteousness that we have already received. Now, Father, I pray the gift of righteousness that we have because of your grace, that the same grace will empower us to practice righteousness and to live honorably, vessels of honor fit for use in your kingdom, God. I ask, our oh God, forgive us where we have failed you. Your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us. So forgive us, God, where we failed. Any person here that has failed you, sinned in some respect, I pray that your mercy and your goodness, your grace will cleanse them now. I thank you that they are already clean, even by the words we have spoken. Cleanse our mind. Cleanse our behavior. Cleanse our passions. Cleanse our ambitions. Let your fire burn that we might serve you acceptably with reverence and holy fear and godly fear. I ask in Jesus' name, O oh God, purify the sons of Levi that we might offer you an offering in righteousness before you, God. Your kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You promised that blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Fill us now, God, with your capacity. Fill us with your ability to live righteously in the earth in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that the prayer of a righteous man now will accomplish much. Thank you that you're going to answer prayers swiftly in every life in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was thinking of one scripture while I'm praying. The Bible says, the righteous are as bold as a lion and the wicked flees when no one's pursuing them. Have you ever seen someone run away? Why are you running, bro? Oh, he's chasing me. Who's chasing you? There's no one chasing you, but you, you're moving, right? The righteous, the Bible, the wicked flee when no one's chasing them. But the righteous have a face of a lion. Anyone, has anyone tempered with a lion here before? Anybody? Face a lion and one in the, in the jungle. When you meet a lion, you don't negotiate. You act instinctively. And the correct instinctive reaction is run, bro, with all your might. You don't go face, unless you're David, right? <laughs> you can face the, the, the lion, the bear, whatever. Let me just say this to you. I pray this week you will be bold. Say bold. Later on, I'll discuss the benefits of righteousness. One is boldness. Now, I, I'm going to challenge all of you. All you young people, stand up. All the young men and women, stand up. Stand up. Me, Randolph Barnwell, growing up, I grew up as an introvert. I was shy. I receded, shrink back away from confrontation, 
I wasn't your frontline man. Orals for me at school was my nightmare. Standing up in front of a class and just talking, something prepared. Could never do those. Right up until matric. It, 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 and yet God had this function for me in plan. I'm amazed. That's why it's not man's ability. It's the grace of, it's the grace of, of God. And so I remember whenever there would be a contentious issue, especially at church and I was part of leadership, and they would ask for my comment and I would refuse to give my comment lest I offended people. I was shrinking back against principles I knew to be true. It would even start to manifest on my face. Initially, I would cry. And my pastor would say, Randolph, get yourself together. And you know what? It, things started to change for me when I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And a boldness started to come. And then I started to look at contentious issue and contentious men in the face, but being unintimidated. Why? Because when you bank on truth and you preserve truth, you have no reason not to be, to be fearful and not to be frank and uh, confrontational about certain things. Can I hold you? Okay. Right? Confrontational about certain things. So, each of you, no matter what your personality is right now, Keegan, you are lying. I want to encourage you, Listen carefully, young people. Don't be arrogant or proud. Don't be arrogant or proud. But be confident. The thing that's going to give you confidence is your righteousness. Ian, you be bold. I heard some of your stories and things you contend with at, at, your, at your academy. You be bold. Right? It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. People think you are arrogant. No, you're not arrogant. You're simply confident in who you are in Christ. Okay? And I want to encourage you, the righteous as bold as a lion, don't shrink back from responsibilities that God is leading you into, conquests, things you need to pursue. You go in there boldly and let righteousness be your scepter. There's a verse that says righteousness will be his scepter, his authority to rule, his authority to, to reign. Amen. So just lift your hands to the Lord. I bless you in Jesus' name, you, all you young people. I bless you with the strength of boldness. I declare that no one, no more, will intimidate you. No one will bully you at any level. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, at any level. The Lord says, you are my son. You are my righteous boy, my righteous daughter. You are mine. And I make you bold today. You will stare stuff in the face and say, by the design of God. By the name of God, like David said to Goliath, you come to me with spear and sword, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. Right? And this day I will take your head. That's what David said to Goliath. This day your head is coming off. So I confer the spirit of might upon you. It comes to those that are righteous in Christ. And may this verse ever be resonant in your spirit. The righteous are as bold as lions. And the wicked flee when no one's pursuing them. In Jesus' name, may that be your portion. Amen. Just bump someone and say, don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. Right? We're not cowards. You want to meet lions? Come to Gate Ministries, Durban Central. We're loving lions, by the way. Amen.